0: You get 25% off your order. How can you beat that? So what are you waiting for? Get some steaks, burgers, bacon, or other meats and experience the certified Piedmontese difference for yourself today. And now, to my guest. Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm your host, Dan Hoppin', and today is a good day because we get to talk about Pasta, which is one of my favorite things in the world. And we get to talk about it with a man that I truly believe is one of Omaha's best up and coming chefs. Omaha, greater area now, I guess. But not only do we have Drew Stats here, we have his uber talented wife, Michelle, along with us as well. We are here to talk about their new restaurant, Semo Pasta and Wine, located in downtown Fremont. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. us. (laughs) This is my pleasure. I had. You were on the podcast a couple years ago, Drew. We were talking about off the mics, but so much has changed between now and then. And and now we have Michelle, which automatically just makes this episode better than that one. So I I can't wait to just get updated on everything that's going on in you guys' lives. And that starts with Semo, um, which opened in downtown Fremont May 24th. So as we're recording this, we're just a little bit more than a month old. I mean... This is still a very new concept, but it's firing on all cylinders. But for someone who hasn't visited yet, I kind of want to set expectations for what Semo is. Now, on your website, you define it as European-inspired Nebraska cuisine. What does that mean to you? Uh, In simplest terms, it's like
1: not necessarily Italian, not necessarily French. Um, You're going to see a lot of those influence. But really, like, I don't know. Foods you would find here, with produce you would find from here, uh, working with local farmers from here. And that's probably the easiest way to describe it.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So just to define roles, Drew, you are the the head chef, and Michelle, you are sommelier and pastry chef, correct?
2: Uh, pastry. I don't really have much of the wine.
0: I know you world, have a wine background, but, yes, but okay, yeah. you you let Jack handle most of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes okay. sense. So semo is short for semolina flour, which yes. is the Italian pasta far widely acknowledged as one of the best for noodles. I want to say that because a lot of people that I talk to, they at first want to call it semo. Yep. no, it's it's semo. <laughs> but knowing you, Drew, I know that you have a deep love for pasta, and while. Semo's menu—it has proteins, it has vegetables, it has some seafood and some other dishes. The main heart is right in the middle of that menu, and that is the, pastas. That's where the does, pasta. Where does where does your—I mean, look at your hat right now, <laughs> pasta punk. Where does your deep love for pasta come from? Um, crazy enough, that was my
1: like go-to childhood meal was just boiling pasta, eating it with butter, and yeah. Then as a broke young adult. That just kind of continued, and I'm like, all right, well, let's keep doing this. And then in culinary school, I made fresh pasta for the first time, and I was, like, upset at how easy it was, and that more people don't do it. Um, And then from there, it was just, like, learning shapes, learning folds, fillings, sauces, ragus, and then I just, I fell in love with this whole big picture of it, the history of it, and
0: never looked back, (laughs) Michelle, do you share that pasta love?
2: Um, yes and no. I don't know. We have different um, passions, I guess, when it comes to food. Um, and then uh, that's kind of shown in the restaurant, I guess. Um, but, I mean, I, I love eating it, yeah.
0: So <laughs> tell me about your passions when it comes to food.
2: Um, right now it's bread. Um,
0: and that shows very well <laughs> in the restaurant. I'll just say that.
2: It's, uh, just cause I kind of have a science background. Um, bread is very like analytical. So many factors can alter it, especially when it comes to, um, like sourdough and whatnot. And so, um, yeah, I've been having a lot of fun just kind of, um, nailing, well, trying to nail it down and whatnot. So, yeah.
0: You're doing a very good job. Anyone who comes into SEMO and doesn't get the bread and butter as one of your appetizers is making a mistake (laughs) because that just that sourdough and that focaccia just absolutely excellent. Um, Drew, I want to get back to pasta a little bit because I'm fascinated in the process of pasta pairings because you talked about, you know, there are so many different noodles out there, but specific noodles pair better with different sauces, with different proteins. Like, Wider noodles traditionally are paired with like heartier sauces or proteins, whereas thinner noodles might be, you know, more of an Alfredo or a creamier sauce. That's why fettuccine Alfredo is, you know, such a popular pairing. What what is like the the science behind pairing noodles and the accompaniment? That's a great question. Um,
1: and from what from what I've read in Italy. The pasta always comes first. The pasta is more important. The sauce is kind of an afterthought, and in America, that's kind of very different. Um, you know, most people will like be craving Alfredo, and then the pasta is kind of interchangeable, whether it's you know a penne pasta or a spaghetti. And in Italy, no, they're like, we're gonna have papardelli tonight, and then we'll figure out what we're gonna put with it. And really, though, so that's how we that's how we kind of build the menu. We make a pasta shape. I usually eat it with butter. And then I decide from there, like, okay, what do we want to put with this? <laughs> and I don't know, butter for me is the easiest vessel because then you can taste like, you can taste texture. You can see where each fold or each kind of little nook holds sauce different. And yet, yeah, do you want something that's going to be thinner? Do you want something thick and heavy? You know, is it is it going to hold too much sauce? So that's, I don't know. We just kind of reverse engineer it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. And a great example of that, and I apologize if I butcher this, but I'd never seen this noodle before. First, you had it on your Instagram, and then when you when came into your restaurant, is it Radiatory? Radiatory. Radiatory. <laughs> it's a small noodle for those watching, about yeah. that big, maybe an inch tall, maybe a little bit less, but it's just got like all these ridges and corkscrews in it. Yes. It's, it's a visually just a resting <laughs> noodle, yeah. but I'd never seen it before. I'm sure that you've been familiar with it, but like... There are thousands of different noodle types out there. Like, how, yeah. how, how, do, you, how do you do research and find, the, find these different things? Uh, funny enough, I've never had it. Really? Or I,
1: I had never had it. Where would you see it then? Um, a restaurant that I staged at in Chicago had it. And they had it on their Instagram after I was already gone. And I was like, oh, what a cool shape. I bet that eats incredibly and I've been thinking about it for probably five years. And then, yeah, when it came time to buy the machine, you get to pick your dyes, your pasta dyes. And I was like, okay, what dyes do I want? Do I want to go with kind of the safer? Do I get a spaghetti? Do I get a... And I was like, no. I want to get things no one's ever seen or heard of. And that's where we landed on that one. And I finally had a chance to. No one could tell me no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when it's your restaurant, right. Right? you get the final say on that. right.
1: Yeah, and that and I love it. Uh we've tweaked it. We've tweaked the ragu a little bit that goes with it since we started, but other than that, no, it we fell in love with it and we don't want to change it. What <laughs> tweaks have you made? Ooh, um basically just using kind of higher higher fat content ground pork. Um better quality tomatoes. We were using a very approachable uh, canned tomato. At first, San Marzano tomato, but it just wasn't doing it for me. And we just, I don't know, tweaked it. We're finally getting to where we like it. And the fennel pollen is kind of the unsung hero (laughs) of the dish. Mm
0: -hmm. And the chili oil, I guess. A little bit of spice. I would say the other thing, along with pasta, obviously, but the other Mm -hmm. thing that drives Semo is the farm-to-table concept. And that, I mean, that is a phrase, a buzzword that just gets thrown around. Every restaurant loves to say that now. But I think you guys have a special dedication to it. And in the lead up to your opening, you actually had an interview with the Fremont Tribune. Mm -hmm. And in there, you had a quote that said, We are really at the mercy of whatever is available. We will print new menus each day based on what the farms deliver to us. That will dictate what the menu is. So I'd love to hear from both of you, like, What does that look like in reality? (laughs) Are people just bringing stuff to your door? Are you going out to the farmer's market and you're just getting inspired by whatever's available? Like, what what does that look like?
1: Uh, It's it's all of it. I mean, we met with Gordon from Grandview Farms, and he lives two miles from the restaurant. And he grows probably 50% of our produce. And, yeah, he just sends me a text on Sunday and says, this is what I have. You know, maybe in a week I'll have this if we get rain, if we don't, I don't know. And so, yeah, they just deliver and we're like, all right, oh, I ordered a ton of kale. Let's process some kale. Let's figure out some things for kale. And then, yeah, asparagus, same deal. It was like we bought a ton of it when it was kind of in its peak. And then one day it's just, well, that's it. It's gone. <laughs> we'll, we'll see asparagus next year. Because, yeah, we're not using any, uh, we don't have a walk in cooler.
2: Yeah. That's our, a big limitation <laughs> for us. Oh, so we wow. have a very small cooler. So, we're not able to, um, unfortunately, like preserve strawberries and bring them out in January, February, whatnot. Yeah. Um, w- I mean, we got to order small, um, which helps it, everything stay fresh. And so, everything's just constantly rolling and moving, moving through the restaurant. So,
1: yeah we don't have space to buy a a case of something we're gonna buy six pounds of it and then move six pounds and then get something else <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah but it's fun too it it keeps us on our toes it's we're always using something different and
2: and it keeps everything fresh too're like And it we're, keeps it fresh. We're not you know we don't have
1: it's
0: just kind of, rotting there yeah it forces our hand yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah in a way well I think it I mean, A, yes, it keeps the food fresh, but it also keeps the menu fresh. Yes, Mm -hmm. Like, I can be confident anytime I come into Semo, yes, there are going to be certain dishes that will probably be present, Mm -hmm. but there are also going to be things that are switched up every single time. So if I want that dish I had last Mm -hmm. time, there's a good chance it'll still be there, but there's three or four more interesting things Mm -hmm. that I can try. But I also, like, I imagine that puts pressure on you guys as chefs because it's like, you know you even mentioned with the farmer he's like hey you know i might have asparagus if it rains this week if not i won't have any so you can't yeah. like plan on having an asparagus dish on the menu you can you can maybe map it out but you can't be like oh yeah that's going to be there or you know like he he comes in and says hey i have a ton of like you mentioned kale this week yeah. and all of a sudden you got to be like okay we need a kale dish and we <laughs> need it now like what does that pressure look like for you guys
1: um I think pressure is probably the best word because we have a we have a commitment, you know, to our younger team to keep them learning. And when you have, and I use kale for example because I ordered some uh from a farmer and then another gal when she was delivering, she was like, "Hey, I have all of this and the bugs are going to eat it, so I just picked it and it's a gift." Oh, wow. And now all of a sudden very generous. But I have a 50 inch cooler that's half full of kale. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's like, let's get creative. Let's make sauces. Let's make pesto. Let's make let's try to stain a pasta dough with it. Let's do everything. More than just, you know, all right, we're going to run a kale salad till it's gone. Because we have a commitment to our farmers also to not waste anything. You know, we don't want to throw anything away. We don't want anything to spoil. Um it's a waste of their time and on our money. So yeah that there's there's the pressure. How do we use everything respectfully? How do we make this how does everybody win in this other than kale? What's an example <laughs> of that? um carrots, so when you buy carrots, they come with carrot tops, and I would argue you yield two to one the amount of carrot tops as you do actual carrots really mm, mm-hmm. wow, yeah, I mean, a carrot's gonna be six inches long, and the carrot tops are gonna be a foot and a half, okay, so so, we're making salsa verde out of it. We're garnishing plates with it. Um, yeah, treating it like someone might treat a microgreen. Because I also, I, I really enjoy the carrot tops. I think they're delicious. The flowers, too. If they ever go to seed, mm-hmm. the carrot flowers are
0: one of my favorites. So, what inspires you guys? If you ha- if all of a sudden you you come in and you've got just a, a boatload of carrot tops, yeah. how, how do you... I mean, does your mind just immediately start thinking like, hey, Salsa Verde, or we could garnish this plate with it? Or like, how do you get inspired by, I have all this product, what do I do with it now? Where where does that inspiration come from? Um, A
1: lot of it for me is previous restaurants, just like techniques I've learned along the way. Um, when When I started at a restaurant in Dundee, it was like, they were making carrot tops into ravioli and they were making this like green ravioli dough. Whoa. And it was, I was blown. I'd never seen anything like it. And then the process for it, right? Blanching them, uh, straining all the excess water out and making this kind of super bright green carrot puree, carrot top puree. I was like, okay, what if I could mount that into a sauce like a pesto? What if I could replace, you know, something common with something uncommon. And then, yeah, that's where it goes from there. And then different techniques from, we read a lot of books. Yeah. We read a lot of books. And anytime we can see a new technique, we're like, oh, we should try that. Oh, they use parsley, maybe we use carrot top. Or they use something else, maybe we find something to, you know, mix this in with. And I
0: think books are probably the biggest tool we have <laughs> Uh, every restaurant and every chef says that they want to provide great hospitality but there are some (laughs) that go above and beyond and that is something that I definitely remember from your time working at Dante and it is extended over to Semo now Drew that there is this attention to each guest that is (laughs) not Like It's not another ticket. It's not another number. It's not another, hey, we're going to make $150 off that table at the end of the night. It's we genuinely want these people to have a good time and enjoy their meal. Where does that desire and that just heart of hospitality come from in you two?
2: I think, honestly, it's us going to Chicago to eat at some of those restaurants is what really, like oh, this is what going out to eat is. Like, this is just, it was unlike anything we had before when we went to go to Chicago to eat. Um,
0: In what way? Like, what stood out?
1: Oh, We went to a restaurant, um, and I made the reservation that, yeah, that we were coming, and we had both just, like, both started um, very young in our career. I was just started running Ovilie. Michelle had just started running Dario's. And, yeah, we just put the reservation notes in that we were from Omaha and we work in restaurants. They, like, Googled us and found out. So when we arrive at this restaurant, they look at Michelle and they said, Chef, we have your table ready for you.
0: Oh, my God! Blown
1: away. I've never seen anything like it. You know, we went to another restaurant and they were like, hey, we were pouring a this wine by the glass tonight and we don't have enough for a full, would you two like just a sample of it? And it was, it was a cool thing. We'd never felt anything like it. Yeah. So yeah, just taking care of people was seeing how they took care of people is how we want to take care of people. It was a cool thing.
2: Yeah. That's what really sparked it was our trip to Chicago. Um, and we wanted to bring that here cause I don't know. It's a, uh, it it makes you never forget that experience when you have, I mean, we we have not forgotten those yeah. experiences, and it's been five plus years. Oh, if not longer, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. And what are some of those above and beyond touches that you try to apply at SEMO?
2: Um, I, I mean, it's unique for every table, I guess. Sometimes they leave notes, which is then when they make yeah. the reservation, which is helpful. Um,
1: it's going to sound crazy. We just. We watch our guests and we pay attention to their habits, their likes, their Mm -hmm. dislikes. Um, And I don't know. There are certain cues that I just remember and I don't think I could forget them.
2: (laughs) Well, like you said earlier, it's not another table. It's not another ticket. You've got to find like a common ground with that table Mm -hmm. to create a conversation. Um, You know, it's not just like sit down, waters, drinks. Uh, appetizers, you know, there's little bits of time that you can create connection within those, um, creating those. And then, like I said, it's, it's kind of unique to what, what we, what we do for tables, I guess, mm-hmm. depending on the table.
0: So, Well, I, I would love to give a personal example oh. because this is, I can't even tell you how much my wife lit up when we came in <laughs> on Saturday. My wife's favorite dish in the world <laughs> is spaghetti carbonara <laughs> and just in our time at Dante I don't even remember how it came up in conversation but we we mentioned that to you and you made a habit over the years of us dining at Dante that you were going to give her you know maybe just a side dish or something of spaghetti carbonara regardless of what she ordered but carbonara was almost always on the menu at Dante like that yeah. wasn't a super um it, it wasn't crazy to to make a little bit extra and yeah. give it to her we had ac- absolutely no expectation that that would ever happen either at Dante yeah. or moving over to Semo and yet Saturday we're in the middle of our meal and Drew Drew by the way the kitchen is slammed like the restaurant's full yeah. Drew is working hard back there and he comes out and has this little bowl not like a huge portion but a little bowl yeah. of spaghetti carbonara which is not on your menu for Sarah I can't even tell you how happy it made her like just a little thing like that just showing that personal touch that, hey, we do care about you, that makes all the difference in the world. And it that went from this is a very good meal to this is a meal that we're going to remember. Like what you just said, Michelle, That, that that's something I think we'll be talking about for years. So I guess that's not really a question. <laughs> I just wanted to, to give you guys a shout out and, and let people you. know, like, this isn't – it's not just talk at a table on a podcast. This is – they're living it out and doing it for real. So let, like let's to. let's get away from food for a second. I want to focus on you guys. How did you guys meet?
2: Culinary school.
0: Okay. Yeah. Where in culinary school? Like, tell me. Like, was it like an instant yeah. connection or uh, h- how did this happen?
2: It was um, Metro at Metro. Um, baking – or no, not Baking Basics. Um, intro to Cooking, one. Mm-hmm. Um, summer class. I – Was still going to UNL. So I have a degree from UNL. In culinary science, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. And uh, I took a summer class there at Metro where we met. And he Mm -hmm. happened to take two. And then you were going to leave to go to New York to cook. Yeah. And he left, but we still kept talking. Um, And then you came back. And, yeah.
0: Just kind of started up from there?
1: Yeah. It was fun. We were in class, and everyone was kind of finishing up their projects. And I saw her yelling at some kids about not helping with the dishes, and I was like, oh, she's the one. (laughs) She wasn't going to say it. I'll put her on the spot. (laughs) I was like, she's the one.
2: (laughs) That and your team stole all the pulled pork for the Cuban sandwiches that one time. Didn't leave any for the rest of us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she was just, I don't know. Well, I ended up being her and I doing dishes probably every day. And we just talked. And then, yeah, it had this weird thing where like, well, you came to the restaurant I was working at once or twice. Mm-hmm. And it was like the only friend from school that was like, oh, you're you're in a restaurant. You want to be in a real restaurant, not a, you know, you're not trying to run an Olive Garden or something. Not to discredit, It's probably a better way to word that, but... Yeah,
0: no, that that makes sense. She came
1: out to support what we were trying to do, um, you know, just as young cooks, and and then yeah, I moved to New York. We talked. We ended up talking every night while I was in New York, and then I I don't know. It just became obvious my time there was done, and I came back to Omaha, and
0: we had a pretty good time after that. And now you've been married for how many years?
2: Four years.
0: Four years. And you have two of the most <laughs> adorable children. Shout out to Harry and Ellie. And listeners, if you want to see what loving parents look like, follow these two on Instagram. Because they are constantly posting videos and photos of their kids just doing adorable things. Cooking, taking walks. It's, it's been really fun to watch. I, I almost feel like I've like... I've watched Harry grow up from afar, which <laughs> seems crazy and honestly kind of creepy to say that. But like, it's how it goes. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. So I I love that you guys share your personal lives uh, on social media too, because that kind of brings the restaurant to life more as well. Yeah. Hey there, listeners, we'll get back to my guest in a minute, but I got to remind you one more time about Certified Piedmontese. Anyone who listens to this podcast or follows me on social media knows that I enjoy my fair share of decadent meals and delicious desserts. And that's why it's really important to me to eat really clean between big meals. And that is one of the main reasons I love Certified Piedmontese. Piedmontese cattle have extra muscle mass, which allows them to maintain a rich tenderness without much fatty marbling. In fact, ounce for ounce, Certified Piedmontese beef has fewer calories and more protein than salmon. Don't believe that healthy food can taste this good? Just try it. When you order off CertifiedPiedmontese.com, use the promo code HOPPEN. That's my last name, H-O-P-P-E-N. For 25% off your order, you will taste the difference for yourself. If you are looking for steak, roasts, tenderloins, bacon, and more, Check out CertifiedPiedmontese.com and experience the Certified Piedmontese difference today. And now, back to my guest. So we talked a little bit about you guys' previous experiences, and we don't need to go into all the other restaurants that, that you worked at, but you know, you were working at different restaurants at different times. But was there always a goal in your mind, whether it was one of you or both of you having the shared vision of opening your own place someday? Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
2: yeah, that was always the goal. Um
1: We didn't know what it looked like or what kind of place it would be or Yeah. Um any of the details, but yeah, I it was too punk rock to work for someone else forever. <laughs> 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 yeah, I I don't like rules. I don't like listening to other people, which I guess I still have a boss, but <laughs> But no, it was like
0: I knew I knew someday that we would do it for us. Yeah. And you said you didn't know what that looked like originally. At what point did it start to become a little bit more clear? Oh, I still don't know if it's clear. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, uh go ahead.
2: I mean just our experiences, whether the places we've worked in the past or places we've gone to eat. Sure. Um, we've kind of picked things that we like from all those places and um Obviously, it's got to work. <laughs> it's got to make sense. It's got to make money. Um, yeah, and then it's kind of all. I, it's going to be ever evolving for sure. I but, think so. Yeah.
0: And and I think it should be any restaurant yeah. that just stays the same, runs a very high risk of getting stale. And I don't think that's you guys at all. <laughs> now, Drew. I mean, yeah. you know, we talked about you were the executive chef at Dante. That is, in my opinion, one of Omaha's best restaurants. It's been around for close to 15 years now, yeah. so it has all kinds of stability. Like That's a very good position to be in. you got to have a lot of conviction if you're yeah. going to leave that spot to go run your own place. At what point did you know that it was the right time to take that leap and chase that shared vision that you guys had? Um,
1: when Ellie came home from the hospital. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when she came home Um, and our, our agreement was, yeah, when she came home, I would take two weeks off. And that first night at home, I was just like, if I'm going to do this, we should do it for all of us. And that, and that was it. I made the phone call the next morning to, uh, the people that helped make it happen. And then, you know, that started day one of like, I don't want to say this double life, but yeah, I, that was day one
0: of me working on this project. And how hard is that? Because obviously your chef life is very <laughs> time consuming to be able to, and it's not like you were sacrificing any of your work at Dante at that point, you still providing an excellent experience for your guests, but you're also, you know, kind of creating this, the shared vision together. How do you make all that happen at once? Um,
2: I just kind of let him do his thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was, that's a great question. I mean, we weren't even necessarily looking. Um, The goal at the time was just like, get as much money put aside as possible. And then I looked at a few places and they were all just wrong. And I was like, well, I don't know what finding the right place even looks like. And I got a phone call saying, hey, I know a guy, he's, within a mile from your house who has a restaurant for sale, you should take a look at it. And it was love at first sight. I walked in and I was like, I have to have it. And we'll make the rest work. And then, yeah, so basically, because Dante was a full-time commitment. Um, There are so many moving parts and they're so ambitious as far as what restaurant goals really look like um, that there isn't time to not work on that. So, yeah, basically Mondays. And then in any bit of downtime I had was just all focused on the project. You know, I didn't go to birthday parties. I didn't go to weddings. It was like every every time I wasn't at work,
0: we were working on this. I want to back (laughs) up a little bit. Please. You said when you got in or when you toured this space that you guys are currently in, it was love at first sight. Yeah. And that's a common refrain <laughs> that I hear from restaurant tours is that they'll go and they'll tour other places and it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. But when they find the spot, even if it's an old restaurant that's dilapidated and it's got yeah. mold and slime everywhere, or maybe it's just a completely empty place where there's nothing in mm-hmm. it at all. But they just know somehow. How did you guys know?
2: I think it's kind of like buying a house, you know, you've got boxes you want to check, and we had boxes that we wanted to have checked. We really wanted a not not too big, a, a yeah. some somewhat smaller um spot. Um something with character. Um and then having an open kitchen. Yeah. Was kind of a, a box for us that we wanted checked. Um and in Fremont.
0: Do you guys what is the value of the open kitchen?
2: It's just fun to see guests. I mean, to actually see them, you know, enjoy your food. Um, And then there's kind of an honesty, too, that the guests are seeing their food being made.
1: My, I mean, because I work either the grill or pasta every night. And from those stations, I can see the front door and I see every single person that walks in. And I can wave at every single person that walks in. And that's it for me, like, you know, Everyone goes to work and works hard for their money, and they're choosing to give it to us. Like, I want to see who those people are. So many kitchens, you're kind of like tucked away in a dungeon, and you never even meet the people that are eating your food. And this now, I see, I see every single table, and it's a cool thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: That's really cool to hear. That I'll just say, from a diner's perspective, it's really cool too. I mean, especially <laughs> as someone who loves food and is a nerd like me, to like to watch my food being created. <laughs> Like that's a joy. Like if I if I get up and you know go to the bathroom or something, walk down that hallway, I'm five six feet from my food being created. I can see it being plated and watch you know how certain elements are put together. It's it's a lot of fun. We have a lot of people that
1: will just kind of come to the edge of the kitchen and just stand and watch, and we love it. You know, it's a chance to say hi. It's a chance to like. Well, it's another thing that kind of holds us accountable too. We can't do anything greasy. Um, because we are always being watched, you know. If what's a better way to say that? I don't know. It just reinforces it, you know. Like, I think a lot of places want to keep their restaurant clean. I mean, we have to. <laughs> people can see if we're being dirty, mm-hmm. so we don't allow anyone to be dirty, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's. But it's cool. It's it's fun that people can just yeah
0: peek over the ledge and say hi. Now you guys have both managed restaurants and and been pretty high up in authority at restaurants but mm. now you're at the top like <laughs> this everything like about this place is yours and you get to do what you want with it. What what is that like?
2: Uh like you said before teaching the younger cooks and servers kind of bringing the next generation up I guess. Uh yeah. kind of like that's uh that's kind of what it means to me because um, I feel like COVID kind of took a lot of people from away from the industry, a lot of experienced, awesome people that worked in the industry. And now there's this um, hole, I guess, that needs filled. And it's kind of our job to train them right and <laughs> not be <Yeah>. greasy cooks <laughs> and that sort of thing, yeah.
1: Well, on my side of it was like, maybe I'll see something and get inspired by it, and I'll say, "Oh, I want to bring in this." A lot of times, I'm met with, "That's too expensive," uh, "That doesn't," "That's not the right image here," "This doesn't fit what we're trying to do here." Well, now I'm just going to do it. <laughs> I'm just going to buy it. You know, if I want to get a, I'm trying to think of a good example, if I want to buy a pound of truffles, nobody's going to say no. Do you like truffles? I'm not aware if you like truffles or not. They're all right. <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy some. I At the chiropractor this morning, he's like, yeah, you have tendonitis from, <laughs> from shaving truffles. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, my wrist hurts. And he's like, yeah, you're
0: going too hard with the truffles. <laughs> Michelle, what is it, what is that feeling like? You mentioned bringing up the next generation and, and teaching um these young cooks what it's like what is what is it like for you guys when you see something click for them especially the young ones who are maybe working in a kitchen for the first time to see like that light bulb go on whether it's them getting a technique whether they are putting like a flavor combination together for the first time whether they're making a suggestion that you're just like oh i hadn't thought of that thank you for suggesting it what's it like for that for you guys to see that light bulb go on for them
2: that's you because i'm baking the bread during the morning and he's there at night cooking with them, so.
0: Um,
1: the best analogy I can give, it's like in the spring when you have your little tray of seeds and you start them and you watch them every day and one day one pops and it's all the excitement right there, all the focus is right there and then as the rest of them come up too, now you have this beautiful garden starting and that's that's how I think the kitchen feels. <laughs>
0: Now, I know part of the reason that you guys wanted to open a restaurant in Fremont is obviously proximity. Like you said, it's a mile from your house. Yeah. That's super convenient, Definitely. easy to get down there, easy to you know have a family. That's awesome. But I think in reading some of your quotes in previous articles that I've read, it was also very important for you guys to bring something back to the community in Fremont and Absolutely. and provide something specifically for them. What was important about that for you?
2: Well, Fremont has a lot of fast food and a lot of great Mexican restaurants. Those are the two things that Fremont has. Um, But they don't really have a nice place to go out to eat. You know, if you're celebrating something special or um, just like a good, everyone says, there needs to be a good steakhouse. Well, we don't, we're not a steakhouse, but we do try to always have a steak or two in the menu Um, just because Fremont doesn't have that and...
1: Yeah, for me it was like, I don't know. We just want to do something nice. And now we have a platform to do it. We have a platform to like maybe a lot of restaurant models are kind of built on you pay servers two bucks an hour and they live on tips and you pay kitchen staff minimum wage and you just cycle through them. And now we're in this spot where like, all right, we can – We don't have to do this. We don't have to follow this model. So it's like, let's pay everyone a livable wage. And let's kind of recreate this culture a little bit. And I don't know. We have this power now. Let's use it for good, not evil, right?
0: (laughs) How exciting is that for you guys? Because you guys have lived in this culture. And that restaurant culture has been in place for a long time at a lot of restaurants yeah. and there there are some that do it differently there sure. are some there's some that sure. break the mold for sure but it has just kind of been accepted for so long that you know those rules that you just said those are in place and i think that's why from talking to people why a lot of especially servers and cooks left the restaurant industry after covid because they got other jobs or had different experiences where they realized that didn't have to be the reality. And now I would love to see more restaurants that are like you guys kind of break the mold. How exciting is that to kind of get to recreate that structure and say, no, this thing that we know that is broken, we've experienced its brokenness. We're not going to continue to do that. We think we have a different model that can make our people happier and keep them around longer.
2: Yeah. I mean, we hope hope it takes off (laughs) and not like, right away overnight but hope maybe someone who wants to open a restaurant you know down the line sees what we're doing and like no, you know this is the right way this is how it should be this is how I'm going to do it because I've worked um as a server and I've also worked as I've worked front of house and back of house I've done um a chef cook and a server and they're both they're both difficult jobs but kitchen staff is not paid enough in most places, they're just not. And it's not fair that they're usually there longer than the servers. Um, they'll clock in before the server, the, the back of house will clock in before the servers and out after the servers leave. And it's just, it's not fair. It's not right because everyone is important in the in the restaurant. The dishwasher probably being the most important and probably the most, the, receives the least amount of compensation most in most places because um, if you don't have a dishwasher <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're screwed. It's yeah. awful. It's sticky. He's
2: there at two AM, you know, doing dishes and everything. Yeah, it gets sticky. It's yeah.
1: I don't know. We We paid our staff last week and yeah, you watch someone open a paycheck and they're like, Hey, I think this is wrong and I was like, No, you've earned this. And they're like I can finish paying off this school quarter now. I can buy my books for next quarter. And it's like, yes, this is why we wanted to do this. This is the platform we wanted. And hopefully it works. (laughs) Sounds like it's certainly off to a good start. And
0: it's always refreshing to go into a restaurant multiple times and see the same faces again and (laughs) again. And I'll give a shout out to Dante. I mean, going back to Dante, I, I see the same you know, five or six servers just about every time. I'm pretty yep. sure, you know, Marcus, yeah. our server there, shout out to him. He's awesome. But he's he's been there for like the last five years for my wife and I, yeah. like almost every single time. And you can tell that those are like healthy cultures that are created where people want to stick around. I love that you guys are really working mm-hmm. hard to establish that. And I I, I just want to give a shout out to you guys in terms of building out the restaurant because if you want to see people work, go back on <laughs> Semo's Instagram account. There is pictures and video of you guys. <laughs> Michelle, you're out in the backyard. You are building and sanding chairs. Yeah. You guys uh built the bar yourself. You built the tables. There's video of you sweeping and sanding the floor. Like oh, you the floors. Lord, you, you're gonna kill me. <laughs> you built this thing from the ground up. Like yeah. I, I'm trying to imagine that balance of like you're so excited you finally get this thing it's yours and you want to make it look perfect but there's so much day-to-day work that you have to do to get to this pie in the sky thing like Mm -hmm. how difficult was it to move from here to here
2: i mean i we were really um ecstatic probably about 90 percent of the way and then that last 10 it was just like oh come on we just want to be (laughs) <laughs> I just want to be open just want to be open, but I mean, we had we had help. We had um, he's their general manager, Jack Choquette, helped out a lot. You yeah. and him did the floors. Um, my dad helped build like the shelving because um, I was with the kids most of the time. And yeah. your grandma would watch the kids sometime. Yeah, Jack, my dad, and grandma—that's how we got there.
1: Honestly, <laughs> I, I mean, Jack was there with me. 12 hours a day, literally stripping grime off the floors. Oh my niche. gosh. Yeah. And he's, I mean, a little more construction savvy than me also, so I'm like, racking my brain on what's the best way to do this, and he's just like, no, we're just gonna do it. We did. And, yeah, we I mean, I couldn't imagine being here without Jack.
2: Yeah, and he's, <laughs> he's still with us. He's a uh, like I so say, he's our general manager, and he does the line. Mm-hmm. He does the tasting and the ordering and stuff like that because he's there during the night and can recommend bottles and whatnot. But yeah, he's. Well,
1: great. and that's the biggest thing, right? This isn't as <clears throat> it's not as much as I can do, or it's not what I've seen and learned. It's like how much getting the right people to help us, because I can't be I can't be talking to tables. I can't talk to every single table. I can't put out fires. I can't do the schedule and then cook also and then do the bills and then do everything. So it's like finding people that believe in this and that want to come out and support us and help us.
0: That's the difference maker. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's talk about the menu. Uh, You guys have so much experience working in restaurants. You've dined all over the country. I mean, you still remember experiences from Chicago, like, I can't even imagine just a cavalcade of ideas that you have for dishes in your mind, but it's a small kitchen, and you want to keep that menu tight. You don't want to have a menu with 50 things on it that decreases quality. It doesn't have to decrease quality, but it most likely is going to. How, Especially as you're working out the opening menu and determining these are dishes that we want to have on here just about every time, how do you take just these this huge cloud of ideas in your head and dwindle it down to okay here's the the five appetizers we're going to have the five or six pastas and the five or six main dishes um and that was a challenging one
1: because we didn't know what the opening menu was going to be because we were like you know our peas going to be available what what are the farms going to have you know we had our We had some proteins kind of lined up that we knew we wanted to work with. Um, But as far as what to put it with, we, we didn't know. And then the other hard part is like, a lot of times you design a dish and you're like, this doesn't feel right. And it doesn't feel right because it's not, it's something that would have fit well somewhere else. And it doesn't fit the identity of where you are now. And I don't know. That's been the weirdest part. I've been cooking my version of someone else's food within someone else's parameters for the last 8 years. Um what is my food? I don't know yet. I don't I don't think I'll know for another year, maybe two. Like we do something different on the on the bolognese every time we make it. Just because it's like it's still not where I want it. I shouldn't say not where I want it, but it's still, we're always chasing like, let's make it 1% better next time. How do we do that? Well, let's add a little of this, less of that. And, yeah, so that's where we are now. What is our style? What is the restaurant? What is the restaurant's personality?
0: I want to dig into (laughs) that idea of your food Mm -hmm. a little bit, or my food, however you want to determine it, because, I, I just that that concept is so fascinating. Like everybody has their own like food fingerprint almost where sure. it is distinctly yours. And it takes my mind to the show Top Chef, which my wife mm-hmm. and I absolutely adore. Yeah. People can have their varying opinions on it. But one of the things that I like so much about that show is so often when the contestants get critiqued, it's when they try and go outside of their lines too much, outside of the yeah. things that they're comfortable with. And at the judges' table, Tom Colicchio, the famous yeah. chef, goes, "Cook your food. Yeah. Cook your fingerprint, basically." So, like, yeah. w- what is it? What is that concept? What is it when you say, "I don't know what my food is yet"? What yeah. are you searching for? That is, we're getting into like an that is a great question, question <laughs> here. <laughs> um,
1: I don't know because I look at like what what we want our food to have, and it's always. Ingredients first. Um, A dish will never be better than its ingredients. And then technique second, because why get something nice and then just cook it wrong? And then, yeah, we're always trying to do a little bit of elevation, you know, whether it's a nicer cheese, a different finishing oil. You know, we're looking at like, Okay, how do we put stuff into a whipping siphon? How do we, how do we freeze something or give it a different texture? And like, how do we, how do we elevate? Because at some point, it's not enough to just cook good food. I read the other day; it said, uh, "The enemy of the best is good,"
0: mm, mm-hmm.
1: and I like that because I was at a point where like. Things were becoming good, and they weren't their best. But we just told ourselves we were too busy to, you know, really focus in on something to make it the best. And now now that we've, re-ge- you know, kind of regeared it, it's like, okay, this has to be the best. You know, Michelle with the breads, she's doing different techniques on the bread every day, chasing, you know, making it better every day. We used to make a what a, kind of a thinner focaccia, and now yeah. we like doubled the size of it and made it just real thick, and it's so good. And bread's our top-selling item.
2: And now we put like <laughs> a little finishing salt on top and it yep. add some extra flavor rather than just plain salt and
1: yeah. So that's that's just been it. Like we're eating it every day, tweaking it every day, trying to improve it every day, and I think. Yeah, then I think it'll be, then we'll find out what it really is to be ours.
0: Tell me about that bread chase, Michelle.
2: (laughs) I don't know. I have an idea of how I want it and I'll, I'll bake the loaves in the morning and then I'll let them cool and I'll leave and I'll text him like, come on open, send me a picture. I want to see it. (laughs) 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 Uh, But, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of have an idea of what I want and I'm just always chasing it.
0: Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Friends and family nights were in late May. There was, I believe, yes. a Friday and a Saturday where you guys opened your doors for the first time and, and had guests in. What do you remember most about those nights? Or, or days. You know, you're baking the bread that day or you're getting customer feedback the next day. What, what do you remember most about that weekend, I guess? Go ahead.
2: Well, for me, all the things that we didn't think that we needed, we were like, Oh, we need this, we need this. It's just amazing about how much you need for a restaurant. Yeah. But that's just what stuck out to me. Like what? Oh, I don't even know.
0: Uh
1: bathroom trash cans. Yeah. Yeah. Um bags that fit bathroom trash cans. Because there was there was hardly anything in that restaurant
2: yeah. when we when we got it. So it was kind of from the ground up sort of thing.
1: Ice. Um we were going and we're going and buying ice every day and it's like oh we didn't have to, we didn't get enough we have to go back and get more one i i have a charcoal grill that i have used twice in a restaurant setting and it's like a nice hardwood charcoal uh but i didn't know how to use it i didn't know i've never used it inside really and we used it and it smoked the restaurant out <laughs> every day for a week we would smoke the restaurant out because i just didn't know I don't know. I didn't know how to use it. Now we have it figured out, and now it doesn't smell as campfirey when you walk in. But yeah, we literally had servers like standing at the door with menus, like <laughs> trying to fan smoke outside. <laughs> but it was fun. People look back and they see me struggling with it, and we, you know, we make a smile, and they smile, and they understand. Like, yeah, these kids are figuring this out. <laughs> yeah, and this support's been crazy. Yeah, the, the grill was one, um, and yeah, being, being busy. I really thought we were going to start slow, kind of organically grow into something, and then no, it was the opposite, and we're more than thankful.
0: <laughs> you serve great food, you give great <laughs> service, people will come out, and I think that's what you guys are experiencing right now. Now, we can't get out of here without talking about, yeah, you know exactly what I'm about to bring up, the Guy Fieri experience. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. So, in late May, yeah. to be clear, you guys had not opened yet. No. I, I think you were supposed to open later that week, or maybe it was the next week. But so, you're a couple days away from opening. Mm-hmm. But Guy Fieri, Food Network Superstar, yeah. is in... First, he was in Council Bluffs to open up uh, one of his restaurants, and then he was in Omaha to promote his tequila brand at Wine, Beer, and Spirits. Yeah. And you get a call from your buddy and your investment yeah. partner over at Wine, Beer, and Spirits, and he has a message for you. I'm going to let you take the story from there, and what happened over the next couple hours? Well, they called me uh,
1: midnight Saturday after the, off- after the soft open. We got our butts kicked. Um, I don't know why they call them soft opens. They're very hard. (laughs) They're very hard. (laughs) But, no, we got our butt kicked, and we're like, hey, we met Guy Fieri at the Brett Michaels concert, and we're going to try to get him to come to Fremont tomorrow. And I was like, call me in the morning. (laughs) Uh, You know, I was like, he's not going to come to Fremont for a chef no one's heard of, for a restaurant that's not open, from Council Bluffs. (laughs) And then, yeah, so I'm there, like, at 5 o'clock, just doing, like, my orders for the week, um, just looking at all the things that, like, that I want to change before we actually open. Like buying trash cans for the bathroom? Literally, like, buying trash cans, (laughs) like, like just refiguring the the whole restaurant, right? You know, trying to fix all the things that we saw from the soft open. Right. And right in the middle of this, I get the call. Like, we're coming with Guy Fieri, and he wants you to have a TV there. (laughs) And so I call Michelle. I'm like, "Uh, so I need you here. It's only me and you tonight. And can you take the TV off the wall and bring it to the restaurant? (laughs) Oh my gosh. And she did. And I mean, he walks through the front door, and he's literally like, a superstar. There's, like, doves flying behind him. There's, like, <laughs> rays of light coming in. Like, he is a superstar. And he walks in, and, you know, he's like, you know, Chef, thank you for having us. Um, Cool space you have. And then he just starts walking over to the coolers and, like, pulling stuff out and thumbing through stuff. And I'm just like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, do whatever. You're Guy Fieri. Um, and then, yeah, we just cooked for him, him and, yeah, probably 10 people in his group, and then, yeah, right at the end of it, I walk out, and we're, you know, talking to him, and he's, he just starts talking, like, the chef language, you know, he's, all right, so how many covers are you trying to do, all right, you got this space, how many nights are you open, what's social media presence, he's like, I think he saw that he had a short window. And he's like, "I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna give this kid whatever I can in the short window I have." And then, yeah, he signed a plate. Took a picture out front. I, I tried to hit the pose with him. I always, Jack and I always do this pose. I tried to hit the pose, and he was like, "No, wasn't having it. He wasn't having it." <laughs> no, wasn't yeah, having. Really? No, which is good. Which is good because it, it would have been too much if he did it. <laughs> but yeah, and then. From there, it was like my phone didn't stop ringing. Like Omaha Food Lovers found out about it. They blew it up. Um, and then the World Herald calls me. The Fremont paper calls me. The Lincoln paper calls me. And all of a sudden, like, okay, we're going to be busy. And then I turned on reservations online. And we were sold out every night. Like, over the moon, blown away by
0: how much traction it got how much support it got <laughs> i want to go back to the moment when Please. you when you get the call because as we've talked about you guys have a menu that's constantly changing based off what's fresh what's available yeah. so it's not like oh hey guy Fietti's coming in perfect i'll yeah. cook him you know my best three dishes or whatever these are best right. sellers you didn't even know what your best sellers are at that point because you, <laughs> no. you didn't have any sellers you weren't open yet how in like, basically, I think it was like an hour's time or or something along those timelines. How did you come up with a menu? Because I can only imagine the pressure of... this <laughs> I mean, this is Guy Fietti, You want to yeah. serve him a great meal. This guy's had tens of thousands of meals yes. throughout the country. And you want to stand out in some way, or at least not stand out in a bad way. How did you come up with that menu on the fly? Oh, I mean, that's
1: that's restaurants. We're always trying to hit the curve. And... I, yeah, I looked in the cooler and I was like, well, I know I'm going to make him pasta. And I know I'm going to be rolling pasta when he walks in. It was like something, I was like, I'll time everything to where if we're doing a pasta place, you know, it's something to be seen actually making the pasta right there. And yeah, so I basically went to the cooler and I got a ribeye and I cut two of the biggest steaks I could cut and I lit the grill outside and I started making pasta. And as I'm making pasta, because you're stationary, and you're stuck, and you can't move. So I'm like, all right, what else do I have? Okay, we'll do, well, I'm going to give him all of the bread we have in-house. And, yeah, it's just like, what what do we have? Funny enough, I got the blood sausage out, and I was ready to make it. And he's like, chef, I'm just going to tell you, I don't personally enjoy boudin noir. I lived in France. Uh, he's like, I cooked in France for a lot of years. I didn't, I never took a liking to it. And I don't know if anyone else in my party would take a liking to it either. And I was like, I almost (laughs) served Guy Fieri something that he was going (laughs) to hate. (laughs) And yeah, it was just like, when we have beautiful farm produce, even if I just put it out raw, it's going to be good. And that, and he kind of saw that. And when he starts pulling stuff out and, I looked at what he was excited about, and I'm like, okay, we'll put that on. He's like, oh, these are really nice, you know, French breakfast radish. I'm like, cool. We're going to give him radishes. If he makes a comment about something, well, of course I'm going to serve it. I had one little truffle left from our soft open, and so, yeah, we just, just shaved it, the whole thing, which is, yeah, I like to shave the whole truffle, <laughs> And yeah, we just shaved the whole thing down and then we sent these steaks out and like we dropped the steaks off and just like on the show, like his eyes roll back and he's like, cool, we're, we're doing good. (laughs) And then, yeah, I just hung out in the kitchen and like cleaned up and basically tried to stay out of their way. But It was a
0: once in a lifetime experience that I, uh, last question about Guy is you had a quote in the World Herald where you said that he was blown away by how much we buy local and how much we make in-house. Yeah. Again, this is a guy who has toured thousands, if not tens of thousands of restaurants. For him to make that comment to you guys, when you have really staked your claim as tours on, we are going to focus on local, we are going to focus on yeah. making things ourselves, when that guy says that to you, yeah. What kind of validation does that give you? All of it. It was everything we needed to hear.
1: It was that confirmation that you are making the right answer, not the easy answer. And that was that was all we needed to
0: double down. <laughs> okay. I got one more question for you guys, and I need an answer from both of you. You've worked in restaurants almost your entire lives. You've mm-hmm. been involved in food. You've gone to culinary school. You've done all of this. But – you kind of mentioned this earlier, Drew, it's always been someone else's vision. It's been doing what someone else told you to do, what someone else taught you how to do. Now you have Semo and it's your own and you can do whatever you want with it. What is that, now that you're a month in and you've had a little time to digest and and go through some of the hiccups and go through some of the highs, what is it like to just sit back and go, we have our thing now this thing that we've been thinking about and chasing our whole lives, we have it. What's that feeling like?
2: I mean, I don't know. We say every day, like, oh, we have our own place. We have our own place. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, I, and I was comparing it when we first started opening to someone getting, like, a doctorate degree. You know, like, we really spent five, eight, ten years in that restaurant working up to this goal that's as I mean, eight years of a doctorate degree. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of what it feels like. You've worked this hard for the, this long, for this goal, and it's finally, you finally got it.
1: For me, I don't know. Maybe it hasn't set in yet. Because there is a, a familiarity of, like, well, I've been making pasta for years. And It's still rolling out eggs. You know, it's still rolling eggs and flour. But I look out there, and now it's like friends I've met along the way, family, and people I've never met who... The people that I've never met that come up and say, we're so happy you're here. We're so happy you're doing this. We love what you're doing. There's no feeling like it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the support has been unreal
0: there's no feeling like it
2: Mm -hmm.
0: well there's something I feel I commonly have to do I have to check myself after I go to a restaurant especially when I have a great experience because I immediately want to go like if I go eat somewhere and I have a great time I just want to be like that's one of the best restaurants in (laughs) Omaha and if I compiled my list of every restaurant that I say that about it's like 40 deep and you can't have 40 best restaurants but Semo is one of those places legitimately i feel confident saying that about like one of my favorite places not only to eat because the food is fantastic but to dine and to have that experience and i mean dane our server both times money he has been so friendly and he you you walk in door he recognizes us and he says hey dan how's it going hey sarah how are you to have that is so special and I know you guys aren't having any trouble with reservations right now, but if anyone is listening or watching to this and thinking, should I go dine at Semo? Yes. Yes, you very much should. So I just I have to throw that out there because I am such a fan of you guys. I'm such a fan of your work, everything that you put into this, and I think that you have created something really special. I thank you so much for all the work that you put into it, and thank you for coming on the show today and giving us an hour you are very, very busy people, and you gave me an hour of your time. I'm very grateful for that. No, thank thank you. you. Omaha, as always, thanks for reading with us.
2: Hoodat Media Production.